Lord is risen. Alleluia. When new life comes, it's not in a straight line. Usually there are some signs, but in a lot of ways, it's unpredictable. The only thing we can predict is that new life will come. But when exactly or how quickly, it's sort of hard to say. It sneaks up on us. And when we're in despair and convinced it will never come, it shows up and asks something of us. Come with me to the dark of pre-dawn as Mary Magdalene walks a little faster through the chill on her way to Jesus' tomb. What is she remembering? Imagine with me that one of your best friends, one of your wisest friends, a teacher with unusual intelligence and compassion, with a spiritual authority and depth that continue to surprise you and draw you to search your own heart and spirit. Really, think of someone in your own life like this. Someone you've looked up to. A teacher, a friend. And imagine that this person has in the past few days been abruptly arrested and beaten and humiliated while in custody and rushed through a farce of a trial and executed brutally. All this, even while the prison guards on duty for his killing are observing his innocence. And now imagine that this happened just a few days before Christmas. You have preparations to make. You have food to buy. You have relatives staying at your house. And in fact, you missed a gathering of friends because of this insanity happening with your dear friend. With the holiday coming, you're amazed that he even got a proper burial with the help of some well-connected people who showed up just in time. And so now you've survived the required niceties of the holiday and you've cooked the dinner people expected and now all you want is to go to the grave and honor the death of this man, your teacher, the one whom you thought God had anointed to save the people from oppression and fear. And so Mary approaches with her mixed spices, feeling the least she can do is to add some pleasing scent to his wounds, now cold, and give some dignity to this senseless death. And when she gets to the spot, even that tiny hope is disrupted. Now here in John's account, she turns on her heels and runs to tell the other disciples. Now as Peter and John come to see, I'm assuming that all three of them are running back together to the tomb. When they all get there, and Peter and John see what she has seen, do they say anything to her? Are they simply baffled? Are they afraid? 
Some other gospel accounts tell us that all of them are very afraid. And some have suggested that the disciples, such as Peter and John, were afraid because they had deserted Jesus. And now he was back, clearly vindicated by God and therefore fully empowered to return with a vengeance. So they were in trouble. Of course, that's not how he returns to them. He returns with greetings of peace, but that's for another Sunday. But we have no record of what they said to Mary, if anything at all. They look, they don't understand, they go back home. And Mary is left alone again with her question and the emptiness confronting her. Now he's completely and fully gone. Not just dead, but disappeared without a trace. Not even a body for her to honor with her love and grief. Who wouldn't weep? And then for Mary it gets more interesting. She bends to look into the empty space where Jesus' body should be. And she sees she's no longer alone. Why are you weeping, say the white-robed visitors. And again, she explains her distress, looking around, maybe for someone to help recover the body. And that's when she sees Jesus and has no idea who she's looking at. And by the time he repeats the question, woman, why are you weeping? It seems Mary is done looking for any help and is simply resolved to do this herself. Listen, if it was you who took him, just show me where and I'll take care of it. Now clearly that Jesus, the risen Christ, does not look like his old self. But somehow, when he says her name, everything else falls away. And she sees him with a clarity she may never have had before and might never again. My teacher. Thinking back over her last couple of years with Jesus, you have to wonder, when Mary first met him with her seven demons in tow, was there any way she could have imagined that she would find herself in this position? the first to see the Lord alive, being sent by him to carry this message. Could she have believed that one day she would be called the apostle to the apostles, the first to announce the resurrection? And just minutes after not even knowing who he was. But this kind of disorienting encounter happens to us with Jesus, doesn't it? It can be hard to see him even when we desperately want to. And he might be standing right in front of us and we still don't recognize him. Once again, we're in good company. And notice he doesn't even mention it. He doesn't act hurt or ask her why she didn't know his voice. He just calls her by name. And we, too, are called by name and sent by the risen Christ in ways we can scarcely believe or accept. But new life comes in fits and starts, 
We see him clearly for a moment, and we set off in the direction he's sending us, and that goes really well for quite a while. And then our vision goes blurry. It's like looking at one of those magic eye pictures that Todd had for us. Everything kind of runs together, and we have to stop again and ask, where is he? Life with Jesus is not a straight line. It requires our paying attention, our continual looking and noticing. Like the slow greening of the forest floor while the tops of the trees are still bare. It's beautiful and yet we know there's more coming. We don't know exactly when. And sometimes we stop watching for it until one day we suddenly realize that all the trees have their green tips already and we kind of missed it. On the magnolias, the fuzzy, taupe-brown buds stand against snow and wind all winter long until enough sun and warmth coax them into flowers. It comes in fits and starts. New life comes in fits and starts, but it comes. It comes regardless of everything else. It comes as surely as spring comes, with all its shocking newness and beauty, every time a kind of surprise. And each time we see Jesus, the risen one, when we see him with this kind of clarity, How does it change us? How does it change everything? In answering this, let's keep in mind the kind of human life Jesus lived. The one who was dead and is now alive forever, the living one, was a man who lived as a religious minority, an ethnic minority, who experienced homelessness, and relied on the hospitality of strangers for food and shelter. This is the one God raised from the dead. Not a secure, privileged, wealthy man, but Jesus of Nazareth, with not much social advantage and nothing obvious to make him desirable. And he is the firstborn from among the dead. New life comes in bits and pieces, but it is coming. The day is coming when no more will unarmed young black men and women be arrested and even killed in our streets for no good reason. No more will the sound of their mother's weeping be heard in the neighborhoods that raised them. No more will prisons be overflowing with black and brown citizens and making profits on their confinement. They shall not bear children for calamity or sudden terror. And we will not fear each other. And there will be no need for Monday night meal because our neighbors will have good houses to live in. And they will not plant and another eat, but they will plant and harvest and eat and be filled. And all will live in mutual respect, and no one will hurt or destroy. No one.
And so following the pierced, wounded, executed, raised, and living Christ, following this one who is well acquainted with grief, we are walking into this new life by fits and starts. Through Jesus' radical trust in God, death has been swallowed up, and the fear of death cannot bind us. Friends, we live our lives painfully aware of Good Friday. And so did Jesus. It's not to be avoided. And it seems that struggle and the nearness of death seem to be quite present with us as a community of faith lately. And perhaps these times, more than many, can help us see clearly how by the work of Jesus, the Anointed One, God has erased dividing lines between us. We are equal in our vulnerability to death and illness and grief. And we share equally in Christ's rising. When Jesus faced the worst of it, the powers with their investment in keeping people alienated from one another crushed him. And to everyone watching, That was it. By all appearances, Jesus should have been one in a long line of brilliant reformers snuffed out by the strangling grip of empire. But when he was vindicated by God, he created a new community of love. Love between utter strangers and love between former enemies. When Jesus, representing the weakest and most rejected members of the human race, rose from the dead, he broke down every barrier between us. And God's kingdom is at hand even now. This kingdom in which all that can keep you out is your resistance to transformation. The transformation required of all who love deeply. Nothing is left unredeemed. No one is beyond the pale. Mary understood this. She had lived it. She'd been through her own hell on earth and had found healing. And so she was ready when Jesus asked her to run with her clear vision. I have seen the Lord. All who are willing to risk life and death with Jesus will be resurrected with him. Boundless life comes in fits and starts, but it comes persistently and relentlessly. Life comes. This may not seem particularly Eastery, but you can let me know later. I'd like to sing for you a song that, to me, holds together the, <laughs> the deep hope and the deep, wide welcome um, and also the messiness of this kingdom that is coming.
There's a place I know where the train goes slow, where the sinner can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a river by the trestle down by the sinner's grove. Down where the willow and the dogwood grow, and you can hear the whistle, you can hear the bell from the halls of heaven to the gates of hell, and there's room for the forsaken. If you're there on time, you'll be washed of all of your sin and all of your crimes. If you're down there by the train, down there by the train, down there by the train, down there by the train. The train goes slow. There's a golden moon that shines up through the mist, and I know that your name can be on that list. There's no eye for an eye, no tooth. I saw Judas Iscariot carrying John Wilkes Booth. They were down there by the train, 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 down where the train.
train. 